This episode of Hunter Camp Down Under is brought to you by Ridgeline. Ridgeline have just released their new performance range, featuring brand new styles and high performance fabrics for winter 2020. One of the highlights is the new Ascent Jacket for men and women. The new Ascent Soft Shell Jacket is designed for use as a performance layering piece and has been rigorously tested in the South Island of New Zealand. The new Ridgeline performance range features a new Realtree Escape camouflage print. It fits into the environment you hunt in and the colours appear to adapt to the terrain. All the new gear is available in Australia and New Zealand and for your local stockist, check out the website www.ridgelineclothing.com.au This episode is proudly brought to you by Zeiss Optics. The legendary Zeiss binoculars are founded on exceptional optical performance, outstanding ergonomics and robust construction. Zeiss innovations have constantly expanded the limits of what's technically possible. Generations of hunters and shooters swear by their Zeiss binoculars, being heirloom quality products that are passed down from generation to generation, together with the stories that came with them. Experience the Zeiss Victory SF, the most versatile premium binoculars in the company's 165-year history. Find your local stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. All right, man. We've been uh, sitting here gas bagging for a couple of minutes, so... But uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have Mr. Robbie Kroger on the line all the way from Mississippi. And it's yep. very, very early in the morning for him. So I really appreciate you jumping on, man. But how's things? No, it's all good, man. And this, yeah, it's early, but this is my typical morning. <laughs> 4.30. I'm actually up at 4.30 because I've decided I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast with that uh, sleep psychologist and it yep. scared the living daylights out of me because I was a six hour, six and a half hour kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I'd wake up at 4 a.m., go to sleep at 9.30 and I was like, I need to get more sleep because yeah. that stuff is dangerous. So yeah, that was a bit of to a, get uh... more sleep, I gave myself another 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> killing it, killing it. Well, uh, maybe from the voice, I don't know, depending on who follows who on the socials, but uh, Robbie, and I wanted to introduce him as a person before I get into your title, uh, Robbie is one of the, and get, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the founders of Blood Origins. Um, the founder. The founder. There's only one. There is only one. Beautiful. Uh, even more special. Uh, for anyone that obviously, for those that are mad driven and hunting uh robbie has created a huge platform in my opinion um of speaking so well and so well articulated and uh sorry to put this on the spot mate but so well articulated for the hunter's voice and to be honest with you man you're, you're tackling subjects that i didn't know whether could be tackled on a social media platform and full credit to you mm-hmm. so man Oh, there's certainly there's certainly pucker factor. I'll tell you that it's not it's not easy. Um, I, I hope we get some but, of those pucker factor moments coming out. But man, I want to focus for the start of it. I really want to focus on you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I promise that I want to 
I want to. We want to know a little bit more about you because we know you as Blood, Blood Origins. Um, but I'd like mm-hmm. to get a little bit of a background in yourself. Um, one, you know, maybe and go back as far as you want to. Um, but you know, maybe growing back up back home, how you, how hunting was for you, was it something that was in your blood? And man, take the floor. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, you know, I don't like talking about myself because. That's not the point of Blood Origins, right? And the fact that you had to ask me what my last name was. Actually, I've had someone on a podcast just like you before we started saying, hey, I, I hate to ask you this question, but I don't even know your name. Yeah. And that's the point. Yes. That's the reason, right? You shouldn't know me. You should just see me as a as a figurehead and talk. You don't know Robbie Kroger because Blood Origins wasn't built for bloody for Robbie Kroger. Mm-hmm. Blood Origins was built for us, was built for our community. And so purposely... It's not about self. It's not about me. It's not about this ego-driven trip. And I have people all around the world, and I'll I'll lay the responsibility on you as well. Mm-hmm. As see that, text me, DM me, and say, hey, you're becoming quite a egocentric, you know, a-hole. <laughs> you need to go back behind the scenes. Yeah, which is what I need. It's every some of us actually need a lot of. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, so me, I um originally you know raised in south africa uh raised to a family steeped in hunting heritage my grandfather pretty much lived the mecca of two wildlife paradises that this world had to offer in the 20s and 30s he lived in northern china siberia uh he's pretty much the only person i've ever heard of that's hunted pheasants in tibet um wow he then moved to africa in the 50s and 60s and lived the heyday of Africa in the 50s and 60s and 70s until revolution hit. My father was raised in that as the camp boy, essentially. And all I got of that is essentially pictures and stories and trophies on the wall because I was raised in Johannesburg, eight and a half million people mm-hmm. until I was uh, 24. I went through the Bachelor of Science. I was very interested in swamps. Swamps was my thing. Like That's what I wanted to learn about. That's what I wanted to do. And so I did a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Conservation Biology, did an Honours in Wetland Ecology, did a Master's in Wetland Ecology, and then I came to the States to do a PhD, uh, essentially in the same field, but tying it with agriculture. Yeah. And so that's where, that's how I got to the States. And at that time, I hadn't hunted, didn't know what hunting was. Very much a, you know, the, the key term of a late adult onset hunter, I just... If you had asked me, even arriving in the States when I was 24, what is hunting? I couldn't have answered that question. I wouldn't have known what it was. I didn't know what it entailed. I didn't know nothing about it. And so I was fortunate enough to get connected with a, a good redneck friend of mine. He's six foot five, 250 pound redneck <laughs> out of Mississippi. Yep. And he started talking about hunting, and we started talking about hunting. And I said, Oh, I'd like to do that. And he said, Yeah, no problem. So he gave me a gun, gave me a lawn chair sat me under a tree and said, shoot whatever walks by. Sounds like the Australian shooting <laughs> just, model. Just about, yeah. And um, from there, things just evolved, man. And uh, I've got two young boys. I've married a girl from Memphis, Tennessee. Don't plan on leaving Mississippi. Um, so, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, brother. Um, it's, a very, it's a very tight nutshell. And I, and I know, like, I know it's hard, um, so I'm going to pick you to pieces a little bit, but... Growing up in Johannesburg, uh, did you know of hunting culture 
other than what was on the wall at all? Like you mentioned that you'd never hunted or you really know what it was, but back in your home roots, did you did you know anything about or just knew that your grandfather and your father were part of it? Yeah, that's it. Like, just think about it. If you are living in Sydney, Australia, like my brother lives in Sydney, Australia, mm -hmm. you don't get exposed. You're not exposed to hunting. You don't have even as, – if you don't have friends that talk about hunting, you don't have – there's no hunting on the television. There's no hunting in the media. There's no hunting in the magazines that you buy in the grocery store or by the um, – you know, the newspaper agent, yeah. you just, you don't get exposed to it. So you, you don't have a perception. And here's the key thing, right? And this is why Blood Origin sits the way where it sits is that that is not, that is 70% of the world population right there. Mm -hmm. Don't really have an opinion about hunting. Don't really know about hunting. Don't really think about hunting. But what they get tapped with every so often is this crazy hunting story. Yeah that typically looks like a bunch of rednecks running around, blazing away, killing as much as they possibly can. And that becomes the perception of hunting. And so to back to your question, I had no idea. And even Lisa, my wife, as she says, you just ask her, I don't know. I didn't know what hunting was. Didn't care. Yeah. Do you think that's a lot? Do you think that's a lot to do with it? Is the fact that most people don't care that, that don't know it's there or is it more the point that as you said it's it's a hid it's a hidden lifestyle like it's it's not an exposed lifestyle <laughs> oh it's no doubt a hidden lifestyle let's just let's call it for what it is yeah you think about and i use this example a lot if you think about 10 years ago being homosexual was taboo yep right it was something you never talked about. It was something that you hid from and all of that kind of stuff. Well, today, they've come out the closet, essentially. Yes. And it's actually gay. It's cool to be homosexual. There's no, like, stigma attached to it any longer, right? Yep. Unfortunately, hunting has done the opposite. Hunting has retreated further and further into the closet. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to... We, we, there's, there's elements that are taboo and they, they're taboo because of these, unfortunately, the, the Hollywood personification yep. of, of what hunting is and who we are. And unfortunately, nobody wants to tell the true story because that's just not what we're supposed to do, Craig. We're only supposed to show people killing things. Yep. We're not supposed to be emotional. We're not supposed to be vulnerable. We're not supposed to care about you know, kids and getting closer to our creator and all of those things that aren't sexy as a man's man to go hunting. And so I think that that's the problem is that we are in the closet and we're not willing to. And here's the, the thing that you mentioned the elk video at the beginning of this. I think that's the biggest thing that's come from it is that for a moment and not to say that we don't, but I think for a moment, for a lot of people watching that video, they paused and thought for a second that they've never been able to really think about in, in before. Like, for instance, people were saying, I, I think it's unethical for someone to take a thousand yard rifle shot. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that unethical? Where is your fair chase line then? 
Mm-hmm. Is it 500 yards? Is that acceptable? 300 yards? Is that acceptable? 100 yards? Is that acceptable? Where is your fair chase line? And I'm not asking it out of, of poking at you to say that you're a dumbass. Mm-hmm. I'm just wanting to make you think because you've clearly made a personal preference at what is ethical and what isn't ethical. So when you make a comment that that hunter's a POS, have you really thought about why you're calling him that? Man, my mind's blowing with different things at the moment in the last several paragraphs, man. You're leading down so many paths and I really hope we can break this down further over the next uh, little while. I want to quickly jump back um, and we're going to hold that Arizona elk video mm-hmm, right there because mm-hmm. uh, we'll come back to that. I want to go back to you when you when you met your buddy, you met your six-foot redneck. Uh, mm-hmm. You're exposed to hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your initial thoughts? Like, And come from Loved a... It. Come from a if you can sum, you loved it. Like, so that's, that's awesome. And obviously to where you are now, but from what, how you introduced to how some of the people you're approaching or having to, you know, justify our way of life at the moment, how, was there any moments there that you could see why we have the issues we get? Oh, hundred percent. If you, if you, if you, I could have easily, remained in the place in terms of the evolution of a hunter where I just enjoyed killing. Yep. Thoroughly enjoyed killing. I've been there. And everyone's been there. Every hunter's been there. And there are lots of hunters that are still there. I was just about to say, you know, there's parts of it are still there. Yep. And this may be a little controversial, but if that's why you hunt and that's the realm that you hunt in, then I can't fault you because I was there. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you that you have to evolve. You have to evolve to this hunter that thinks more about chasing mature animals or just goes out for the sake of it or is taking your kids out. If you, and this again, it's super controversial. If you enjoy killing animals, shit, you know, that's mind blowing, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing is, here's here's the cut. Here's the, here's the crux of it. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Probably happened. It's happened a lot in our hunting history and our hunting heritage. The problem that we have today is social media. And so, if social media wasn't there, and somebody with a, a cell phone that decided not to turn on the video, mm-hmm. or decided not to take the pictures, didn't. It's almost the analogy of, did the tree actually make a noise when it fell in the forest? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing it. That's that's the problem. That's the only, that's the issue is that people are going to hunt for different reasons. And I have no problems with, and here's, you know, it's all going to come around and we're going to talk a lot about this. I don't have a problem with you hunting the way that you hunt if it's legal. Mm Now, you break that further down and uh, you know the, the the next question is well even if it's legal doesn't make it ethical i.e you enjoying killing a bunch of stuff is that ethical yep in my mind in my opinion 
No. But that's not law. Yeah. That's personal preference right there. And that is one of the reasons why globally, nationally, and especially in the hunting community, we have such a big issue is because we are forcing personal preference onto other people. Yeah. Which they have the full right to do what they want because it's legal and in their minds it's ethical. Yes. All I would say in that situation is let's have the conversation and dialogue about why you think it's ethical, lay out a very well-constructed argument to why you don't think it's ethical. Yeah. Let them think, let them question, and maybe they decide, you're right. I'm going to change my ways, or no, I'm not going to change my ways, and here's why I'm not. Mm-hmm. For instance, the one of the arguments that someone in Australia could make is that I like to kill a lot of stuff because we have a lot of feral nuisance animals in Australia that require significant population control. Okay, fair enough. Good argument. Yeah. I would then come back to that and say, yes, that is dead right. And I would sit in the same room and sit next to the same people. But there's a way to portray that to the public in the same sense better in one way than it is another. 1,000%. You know, and I think, I get a little bit of shit because they're like, you kill heaps of stuff. And, and I'm like, yes, I know. I have. I always do it. I still enjoy it. But there's a respectful way for me to show someone that's not hunting that they go, oh, you're controlling the population of feral pigs. Well done. I'm sure you're helping the farmer out. It doesn't have to be thrown. Like you don't have to drive down the main street advertising it on the back of a truck. And I know there's areas where you're probably not going to see someone in the truck because it's that far in the country that it doesn't matter. But you only need that one person to drive, that one family touring from the middle of the city that's never seen maybe dead animal for what I know. And that's their perception of a hunter right there and then. We've lost 100%. And I guess you could say it's very similar no matter what country you go to, it's going to have the same effect. Yeah, the issues and the perceptions that we have are globally the same, whether you're in, in Mississippi or if you're in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. The, I think it just, if you boil it down to like, so what's the issue here? The issue is that we've never, we've never had to stop and think about our actions. Yeah. And a lot of people would say, well, I can do what I want. That's the most common. A, that's the most common it's a comment free, we get. It's a it's a free damn country. I can do whatever I want. You're absolutely right. You do. You can. But have you just have you thought about what would happen if tomorrow it was gone? Mm-hmm. That would be. That's typically my first response. It's like, okay, you're free to do what you want. What if you can't hunt tomorrow? Would you have changed your action? if you knew your action would have resulted in this thing that you love so much being taken away from you. And I have, you know, I'm allowed to have this perspective because I came from a place in South Africa where I didn't have it. Yes. 
I didn't have hunting. I didn't have the access. I didn't have the opportunities. I didn't have it. And now I have it in America in abundance. And I don't want it gone. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to have it. I want my kids to be able to tell me at 18, hey, dad, thanks, but we're not hunters. Yeah. Okay, fine. No problems. So I want them to have that that opportunity. And, and if we go down the road of hunting opportunities are getting curtailed left, right, and center across the world. There's very few countries in the world that are actually expanding hunting opportunities. Yeah. Um, but they're there. They're op- the opportunity to expand hunting opportunities is there. Like I think Australia, and I'll say immature from not an immaturity like a seventh grade girl immaturity perspective, but rather from a age narrative perspective. Yep. I think the Australian hunting culture has the biggest opportunity to grow in a direction that the globe can look at it and go, holy smokes, that's what you guys could do? Mm-hmm. Especially the whole locum movement, the whole sustaining the environment, the biodiversity, uh-huh. all the tie-ins with the invasive species and feral species. Australia is ripe. Australia is ready for, and as you said, you guys have a new wave of hunters coming in. Big time. That aren't the old school wife beater, sit on the back of the ute with freaking spotlights shooting, you know, kangaroos left, right, and center. Yep. There is a new wave. And even my freaking cousin out of Sydney, who you would have told me, if I'd asked, if you'd asked me, who of your family would never be a hunter, Robbie? <laughs> I would tell you this guy. And he is now the proud owner of two rifles. He's got a little bit of property up in the Hunter. He goes in there because he wants to harvest organic meat because his wife just went through a whole cancer treatment. He's like, no, this is what I want to do now. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I was like, holy smokes. (laughs) But I'm telling you, that's not unique. No. No. The amount from... I've got something I want to... I've got two things here on this topic, but when COVID hit, the amount of my, f- like, no one hunts, like, so where I live, I, I really couldn't tell you another hunter around me apart from my dad and a few others that may do it, but, you know, so I'd have, I, I've got to go to another whole area to really, you know, there's a few mixed in around, but you wouldn't really know them. The amount of people that came to me and said, hey, you know, there was no food on the on that. There was no meat in the stores. There was all that kind of stuff. All the typical things that we always say about you know we can go and harvest our own stuff when we want to, and all those kind of things. And it became real because I had people that had never ever showed interest whatsoever and said, "How are we going to eat if this thing keeps going?" And uh, my sister-in-law lives in in Toronto. I mean, she's messaged me and saying, "How do I get into it over there?" Mm-hmm. Like it was a mind blow. Um, and it's not unique. It's just it's just kept on going. It's just the flow has just kept falling on from that. Um, and it, you're dead right. We've got such an opportunity right now for us here in Australia to really, I guess, grab hold of that. But I think we're too protective of something that we're probably losing in the same conversation. Uh, to let anybody else in, it's it's a weird concept. I I don't know if you've experienced. So why don't we? So why don't we start a platform in Australia that allows people to talk about 
their ethics, the reason why they hunt, mm -hmm. show the real narrative of Australia hunters. We need to. If we don't, you know, if we don't, I don't know. Sounds they, like Blood I, Origins Australia. I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be. You said something there before you said about Australia and, and I, I really, this is a lot easier to ask because you know Australia. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. How is Australia perceived in the hunting world? That you have no hunting. Yep. I have my second hand man here in America and he called me up the other day when we started. We started thinking really hard about starting Blood Origins Australia and He's like, is there hunting in Australia? I was like, what? I said, dude, there's probably better hunting in Australia than there is in America. I said, here's all the things that you can hunt. Boom, 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 boom. And he's like, what? And I said, and it's like there's no seasons. Mm -hmm. There's no bag limits. It's tough hunting. It's not like, you know you know, easy kind of stuff. But if you want to do it, it's there and you can go do it. Just like, you know, you know, tar, for instance, in New Zealand is, is almost sexy, right? People go to public land tar hunt mm -hmm. from everywhere. Yep. Nobody goes to Australia to public land access hunt. Nope. But it's available mm -hmm. if you wanted to just dig about it. And so I think it's just, as I said, I think it's a, even just that element that there is a a perception around hunting in Australia that really if the if the wool got taken off the person's eyes, it would just be people are gonna go, whoa, yeah. I have no I had no idea. Um so there's so many elements there to Australia that uh but then, you know, then you flip the switch, the other perception is what I've mentioned is that which is, you know, Again, if some if, if if a community starts talking differently, that hey, we're not these singlet wearing, beer guzzling, back of the ute, you know, riding, spotlight killing. Geez, that was a pretty long, good set of adjectives yeah, right there. Smashed it. <laughs> um, set of hunters. It's like, well, then what are you guys? Yeah. Oh man, you know, you start talking about conservation that the hunting community in Australia is doing and you start highlighting conservation projects that the hunting community is putting in place. Jeez. Start taking that content and targeting it into Sydney. Yeah. Imagine building a piece of hunting content like we would through Blood Origins. It doesn't really look like hunting content. No. That looks like and and you decide with a little bit of money, like and that's the point of Blood Origins. We don't, we're not speaking to the hunting community. That's not what we built it for. We built it so that the non-hunting community can see who we are. Mm -hmm. And all we do is we just uh, find some very clever individuals who can reach into the Facebook community that is Sydney of non-hunters and say, hmm. Here's a, you know, I don't know, some organic meat lined piece of content. And all of a sudden you've touched 200,000, 400,000 people. Yeah. Subtly. 
about what hunting and hunters are. Clean, positive, that snippet. So, Craig, why haven't we done that? I guess we've sat on our hands too long. I think you mentioned it before, it's until the threat of it going away is the only time we seem to be able to react, you know, so quickly. Oh, that's a good, that's a good piece of language, react. Why do we have to react to anything? Mm. We shouldn't. Why don't we just do? Why it's, do we have to wait till we get punched in the face yeah. and then we only do something? Great analogy. That's exactly what it is. It's, I think we've had it too good for too long. That's probably, I told you before when we started talking, you know, like I've, I, my first bow was eight years old. I'm now 34. I've bow hunted for all those years and you just did your thing because no one knew what you're doing. You just had it. It was cruisy. My dad was on last one or two podcasts ago, whatever it was. And he told you about the, the hay days, the good old days. Everything was a plentiful. You went to any farmer. They're like, yeah, sure. Come and help me get rid of some pigs. Like obviously now, you know, there's deer and there's all these different hunting, all the Northern countries of Buffalo and all these kind of things. But I think it's always a threat that, Yes, I'll use the word again. We react because all of a sudden things are mm. different. Mm-hmm. But maybe well, that's we why start we, back then. Blood Origins, we don't react anymore. Yes. You're on the front foot, so to speak. Yeah, we are what we like to call ourselves a proactive PR campaign for hunting. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't react to anything every day. We push narrative about who we are, whether it's out of New Zealand, whether it's out of Zambia, whether it's out of Zimbabwe or Denmark or Mississippi. Yeah. Taking, and and before we jump into, I guess, the blood origins further, um, taking the money, so I'm going to go into the whole dollar thing. Um, taking the dollars away from conservation because obviously that's a big portion of, especially in the American model. But coming back to this is going to bounce into that little bit of an elk, the Arizona elk. Um, obviously, big money for the governor's tag for anybody that doesn't know a governor's tag. So the fishing game put up tags. They purchased at auction. There's a raffle one generally as well that anybody can win. But the big players, just like in any sport. You buy the best player or you buy the best tag. They can go out, they spend a couple hundred thousand dollars. It all goes to conservation and whatever the fishing game need to do with it. And they go and shoot a massive elk. Um, mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend jumping on the Blood Origins and checking this one out because it'll explain it a lot better than I can right now. But the question I want to ask Robbie was, where do you think money in the sport of it has really... I was just going to drop a big F-bomb then because that's how much I think it has affected it. But where has money, like everyone and trying to make a dollar out of the fucking hunting? Oh, right, right, right. Where has that gone wrong? Because everywhere you look now, someone's trying to make a dollar out of something. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where a big division's going. Where there's, and I really think that's where Australia's part issue is coming from now. So it's a difficult question because you can't fault business. Uh-huh. 
Totally business is business. Like you're in the business, you're in the hunting business. You sell Kafaru Australia. You sell backpacks. Yep. And the model there is you want to sell more backpacks to make more money. More money. Yep. It's called business, people. But I think we are in the position as hunters today, uh, essentially self-imposed because the hunting community, the hunting industry, the hunting business industry has focused very much on the kill Mm -hmm. up until now. And we're slowly seeing change. We're slowly seeing changing to stories. There's a lot more story-driven marketing built into hunting uh, brands. Um, But it's all been about, you know, the best bullet, the best arrow, the best broadhead, the best bow, the best rifle, the best type of camo to kill. And, but, you know, people are going to say, but Robbie, isn't that what hunting is? Yeah. It's the finality of the purpose of what we do. We kill things. Yep. Um, And that's what sells. And that's what sells items in the industry. Um, I think that social media, again, has amplified that element in that now we have professional hunters, essentially, that are have everything built around industry products and talking about products versus, you know, in my in my opinion we should have a little bit more talking about again the why why you hunt and 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 infusing that into the community so that it's not it's all based on peer pressure yeah so if you start if you have somebody big talking about bows and backpacks and Mm -hmm. this is what he looks like or she looks like in an Instagram post or Facebook post, there's a lot of people that want to emulate that. Yes. Because we want to be like that person. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look, their social media feed's going to look very much like that person. I'm going to take this like posed shot of me holding my bow. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and use that opportunity to elevate myself and, and maybe become a professional hunter. I can't fault you for that. Because that's the industry. Mm-hmm. And is that, I think it, I think that the the, the, the the bigger question behind what you asked me is, is that hurting hunting? And I don't think it is hurting hunting. I think it's taking, I think it's taking something away from hunting that people don't really think about, yep. which is the enjoyment of it. Because they're more focused on like getting the sponsors, getting the things, getting the tags, getting the likes, getting the engagement, which is all those things are, are the is the is the menace of social media, unfortunately. Yeah. I should use a better but word, it, commercialized. Yeah, commercialized. But I think if and again, we're a very, very, very small voice, and I wish I had 400,000 people following us. Yeah. I wish I had you know, 500,000 on Facebook because then we would have the opportunity for people to look at us and go, oh, I think I would like, I think I should infuse more elements of emotion and 
why I hunt and the experience, because then that becomes peer pressure and peer pressure builds. And then mm-hmm. before long, there's these, uh, to get a little philosophical for a second, there's these four stages of who we are as humans in terms of our actions. Number one is that you're unconsciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. Don't realize that you're doing stupid shit. You do stupid shit. Excuse my language. Then the next stage is that you're consciously un- incompetent, i.e. you know you're doing stupid shit, <laughs> but you can't help yourself any longer. But you recognize it yep. in your brain and in your actions. The third step is now that you are consciously competent. So you are purposely doing the right thing now. Mm-hmm. You're forcing yourself to do it because you know that makes you a better person, that makes you a better human, that makes your community better. And if you do that for a little bit, what happens is you get into the fourth stage, which is now you're unconsciously competent. Mm-hmm. And so your actions aren't thoughtful. You don't have to think about your actions any longer. You're not posting that, that, you know, bloody pig on the back of the ute any longer, you know, doing something else that is different and is purposeful for your community and for you, of course. Um, so that's that aspect. I think the big money, like really the whole governor's tag, the amount of money people pay to do certain hunts. I think that's, that's outside of the commercialization of hunting. Yeah. I think that that is that's it's an, that's it's another whole thing. I mean, you know, I've seen the Rocky Mount, the Bighorn in Montana go for three hundred eighty-five thousand dollars, and all that. Just it's just a whole nother ball game that probably most of us will never understand. That someone could pass that money, but they obviously have it. They want to do it. It supports a lot of shit. Yep. I don't think no. Any I, of us... To me, it's like it's if we could, you know, when you first start hunting, you can only afford your hundred dollar license and you go hunt public land and you make a little bit more money and all of a sudden you can afford a $5,000 elk hunt. Yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. And you just, you know, as you work your way up in business, that number just goes up. That's, it's, that's just, that's just what happens. And the crazy thing is the better, the more you go in business, the more time you pour, you are all that you, you generally have less time. So it's, you're trying to get the most out of five days instead of three weeks and all that kind of stuff. It just, it all rolls in. Um, I mean, I've bought tags, you know, do I look back and regret them? Probably, but it was an opportunity I had. I did it, enjoyed it, look back and go idiot. I'd probably do it again tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, yeah, different outlook on it, I guess. Yeah. And I didn't feel the tags too. Like I will take that, you know, they were good tags, but, you get fussy. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. But right, let's jump into, I guess, your motivation. You haven't started Blood Origins yet, but what was your motivation? Where did it come from? Um, I came from a, a very simple place. I had two young boys at the time that I wanted to introduce to hunting. I was learning how to hunt myself. I'm still learning to hunt myself. I don't ever think I'll ever not stop learning how to hunt. And I wanted to find a resource whereby I could latch onto and say, that's what I want to look like. That's what I want to be like. Mm -hmm. 
and I looked in the outdoor TV arena because that's what you do, right? And I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find this an individual or I couldn't find a narrative that fit what I was trying to impart to my boys. Okay. Because that's where the cycle breaks, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I could have easily trans, you know, told my boys, hey, we're going out, we're going to do a lot of shooting. Mm-hmm. That's what hunting is. And that happens all around the world. Yeah. Yep. But instead, what I wanted to do, I was, I'll tell you my thought process. How am I going to kill something in front of my kids for the first time? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to explain what am I doing? Yeah. When I've just taken the life of something. And how am I going to explain the sanctity of life to a six-year-old and a four-year-old mm-hmm. such that they don't go into school the next day and say something off the wall and the teacher goes, what the hell's going on here? That was made back in March. So it was like, Okay, let's think about it. Mm-hmm. What am I? How am I going to like? We, it was trapping season, and I had to figure out how I was going to kill the animal. And I knew that if you trap and you want a quick dispatch, you know, a brain shot is what you do. But a brain shot is very visceral. It's very, it's in your face. It's a lot of blood. Uh, that's not what I want the boys to see. Mm-hmm. Even though that's reality, I don't have to show them that. Um, and so that's why I started Blood Origins, really. It was really this idea of nobody out there is telling our true story. Mm-hmm. And there's also not a, there wasn't a project, and now there were an, an organization. Uh, there isn't something out there that's not about self. Mm-hmm. Um, that's focused on us and focused on our narrative. And that's what we decided to do. And it was a crazy idea. And we filmed it. We filmed three pilots essentially in the beginning. And I was lucky enough to, one of the pilots was a student of mine at, when I was a professor at Mississippi State. And he so happened to be the videographer for Primo's Hunting. And very tight with Will Primo's. And I said, hey, Lake, would you mind, would you be able to get a meeting with Will? And I'd met Will once before, and so he knew of me, and he knew I was friends with Lake. And I said, I want him to see this, what we what we filmed. And I can still remember right now, I was sitting on a bench in his office, and Will's computer was facing to me, so he was facing away from me watching it. And it was like six minutes, I think. It was my opening episode. We hadn't put any other B-roll to it. We just just shot the interview. and. He looked at me once he finished watching it and he said, how did you shoot this? He didn't ask about the content. He didn't ask about like why or whatnot. And as soon as he asked that question, I said, I I knew we had something because he's like, he was fascinated by how we had built it. And he was fascinated about the tact of how we filmed it. And I was like, okay. And I explained it to him and he was like, and again, he didn't talk about the content. He talked more about, do you own it? Like, do you have the trademarks? Do you have all those things? <laughs> and the same thing with Shockey. When I showed it to Shockey, because Will was good friend with Shockey, and Shockey just so happened to be coming to Mississippi two months later. And I showed it to Shockey, and Shockey, same thing. He was like, how did you, how'd you shoot that? Like, what was, how'd you film that? And then he was talking about distribution strategies. And 
as soon as they moved into that realm beyond what this thing was, I was like, okay, I think we've got something here. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it started, dude. And uh, it's amazing. It's only almost four years now, just uh, just on four years later now only. So we're still very, very so, young. So much to go. And going back... Um... And I know you, you struggle about yourself because I know Blood Orange is not about yourself. So, but I, I just want to get um, trying to get the grounding of it. And were you at ever? Because obviously you're a professor, so you know you obviously have an amazing, articulate way of you know putting things forward. And you know I, I really commend you on that because I, I made a, a big compliment when we first jumped on the phone. But um, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot straight away. But. How did you at all feel like you, you, you struggled to find that role model, however you want to look at it, for the boys? You decided to create it. Was there ever a time that you like, I don't really know what I'm talking about though? Oh, or hell were yeah. you most confident that you like, I think on it? Like, how did you know what the model was you're looking for? Or was I don't. It until you found, yeah, okay. If you, if you've, you, if you've followed Bud Origins for a while, you can see Blood Origins evolving in front of you. We started one way. We've taken that content and we've slowly evolved that content. And now we've turned ourselves into a 501c3 organization so that we can do the work. We can do more work. Mm-hmm. We've Just explain what that means because it's not something we do here. But... Oh, so in America, to become a nonprofit a non-governmental organization. If some people call them nonprofits, some call them NGOs, um, you have to go through a federal process here in America to be able to accept donations yep. tax-free. And so that's why we we we, we converted. And, and one of the reasons why is people were saying, well, why don't you have any money coming in otherwise? And I was like, we've had offers, but I've turned them down because I didn't want to be the industry. Yeah. I don't belong to anyone. But Origins doesn't belong to anyone. That co- commercialization again, they always had that tag they wanted they want a part of. Craig, imagine Blood Origins was commercialized. It's gone. It loses all its it loses its, its oomph. All if it's it all the integrity that we've just built. Yeah. Out the window. Gone. Yeah. As soon as there's a dollar figure on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why we turned into a non profit so that private individuals people listening to this podcast who say man robbie you're doing a good job we'll give you five bucks a month mm-hmm. now you can essentially we've built the mechanism for you to do that yes when you went from there you you know you, you're in the front of the likes of will primus and jim shockier <laughs> man like why don't you start at the top why don't you like you know in, hell in, yeah you know that's what like, we needed to do it was, we needed to be able to that was kissed on the ass for that to happen. Like the connection you had, I'm sure there's, I'd hope to think there was a lot of other people that tried but did, didn't have that luck to be in front of the right <laughs> people and probably went waywards from there. But how did you keep grounded? You know, you said you knocked back those things, but you obviously had a very strong direction. Um, that has twisted and turned along the way as it's grown. Did you have anybody that you were re- relying upon? Like, did you have somebody that was 
had you found a mentor for yourself yet? Mm, not really. Not a specific mentor, but I think the best thing about Blood Origins, and, and I'll, this may be a little bit of a long-winded answer, so forgive me. No, go for it. When I met Blood, when I met Will, Will was very... Anyone that we have met, we have communicated what Blood Origins is, and they've seen what we are trying to do. Mm-hmm. And they see the dogged perseverance that I have. And I think that's one of my best qualities is that I, I don't give up very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after draining my savings account for two years and my wife saying, you need to give me back my savings account. <laughs> yeah. um, you need to fix some shit, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'll, I'll, I'll answer the first question about like, yeah, it was, it was good that you got, you know, you got in front of Will and Jim so early. Will was awesome. Will's a huge proponent of us, but, but Will didn't, you know, he just gave us his name, which is huge, right? Will gave us credence. Will gave us like, That's hey, Will is. into these guys. It is. It's his voice. It's, his, it's, his, it's him. It's his name yeah. associated with Blood Origins, which was unbelievable. Sharky, Sharky really did something for us that we needed, which was I came out of that meeting with Sharky. I had his cell phone number. I had his email, private email, and I was over the moon. I was like, this is it. We, we've, we're ready. I emailed him like a month or two later, and I said, okay, you tell me where you want us to be. We're going to fly there. We're going to do it. And he was like, nope, time out. He's like, you need to show me a distribution strategy. You need to show me how you're going to get your message out. Mm-hmm. As soon as I received that email, I opened up Google and said, what is a distribution strategy? Gotcha. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was just going. Like I was building this thing. I had no idea what I was doing. You're firing. And Shaggy just forced me to crawl before I was running. Mm-hmm. And um, the best compliment Shaggy ever paid me was every month or so, I'd send him the new episode, and I'd send him the new episode, and I'd send him the new episode, and I'd send him our distribution strategy, which I thought was a distribution strategy. And then he'd come back to me and go, that's not a distribution strategy. <laughs> and I'd just keep, 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 keep. And finally, he emailed me and he said, I have had, as you, to your point, I've had hundreds of people come to me with ideas of what they want to do. The fact that you kept coming back and you kept showing me, here's the next one, here's the next one, here's the next one, and they were all good. He was like, I thought I would have put money on you going away within two months. Yeah. And I think that's the difference is that we've just, every day, we just push and we push and we push and we push. And the mental component has been like a Cuz Strickland. The Cuz Strickland has really, in the beginning, we didn't know where we were going. Like I said, we evolve constantly. Yeah. And so there's been these people, I don't, there's not one person who guides us, but there's people that come along the trail that help us decide which fork we're going to take. Mm-hmm. And so Cuz Strickland said to me, when I showed him the pilot, he was like, you know what's good about all, what, what's good about this is you. And I said, Cuz, no, no, this is not about me. This thing is not about me. He goes, no, okay, I get it that you have to be involved in every episode somehow. 
Mm-hmm. You need to be that thread that connects everyone yep. together. Yep. And so that's why you hear a narrative of me every episode. I get the privilege of essentially bragging on that individual like they can't brag about themselves. And so that was a mentor that that shifted, right? Yeah. Then there was someone who said something along the lines of you need to do a talking head. Why don't you put yourself in front of the camera? A lot of people want to get to know you, Robbie. You don't have to be the you don't have to be out in front, but a lot of people want to hear from you. Yeah. So why don't you do a talking head about current event topics that happens on a weekly basis? Mm-hmm. And that's turned out to be probably just as popular, if not more popular, than our episodes. Yeah. You caught me with it. You got me with that. And so it's that was one individual who said, "Hey, think about it." Yeah. And we evolved that 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 string of content, and um, yeah. So it's really it, it's a constant evolution to what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what the reaction. Winded answer. I apologize. Just mention those last couple of bits, mate. We just blanked out there for a second. Yeah, so it's just been mentors, uh, you know, along the way, just helping us go left or right or whatnot. And we're constantly evolving. You know, every day we we change. We change a little. So, yeah, I apologize for the long-winded answer. Man, that was an awesome answer. And and what intrigues me, I honestly don't know what where you're going to go with it. And that's that's what I really like with it. Um, you know, like Shockey, for instance, you know, it, it would normally just be, you know, he put it out there and he got his followers or whatever it may have been. But the fact that it was nearly a negative that pushed you through to where you got, I think is why you, you ask it's so solid now, um, by all means. Um, you've picked up some pretty heavy topics um, of late. I suppose you could say, and I mean they've they've always been from the start. You know, you've always got a strong message, but um, the tar one was a bit of a yeah. I don't even know where to start with that because I don't know enough. But how did you come of that? You know, this is the this is the greatest thing. If you had asked me the question, what is the greatest thing that has come out of Blood Origins? It was coming, but do it. <laughs> <laughs> The greatest thing that's come out of Blood Origins is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Is I have built, you know, it's interesting. I think it's just the way that we've approached Blood Origins. People see me for who I am. I'm not someone different when I get off this podcast. What you see is what you get. Sorry, actually what you hear is what you get from me. Mm -hmm. I'm not different. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I tackle the day a thousand miles an hour. I have an on switch and an off switch. And so I think people feel that yeah and are comfortable with me and so we've built this family around the world that i engage with daily and they're comfortable sharing information with me for instance right now i'm getting videos out of zambia of a man eating line nobody else is getting those videos mm-hmm. why why are they comfortable sharing that with me so the tar situation i saw a post one random post on Facebook, three days, was it the 28th? It was, I think the 28th, three days before the draft operational plan was to go in place. 
And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I just reached out to the guy. We had interacted maybe a little bit. He knew who I was. We got on a phone call. We spoke for an hour and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. He said, you need to speak with this guy, this guy, this guy. I said, lay the foundation, grease the skids for me. They greased the skids for me. I got, got all the information before anyone. Yep. Like it was like nobody was paying attention to it. And we just said, I said, screw it. I'm going to drop a bomb about what the situation is. And I'd gotten all the information from the guys on the ground. So I wasn't yeah. just giving my opinion. Yeah. Was... I was using my voice to give the opinions of the New Zealand hunting community as I understood the opinion to be. Mm-hmm. And we dropped it literally that Sunday. And the draft OP had literally dropped like Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And within three days, it had 150,000 views. Yeah. It was insane. And I was like, whoa, what the hell just happened? And that doesn't sound like a lot, but to us, it was like, I think we went from nobodies in New Zealand to people like, oh, we know who Blood Origins is now. Mm-hmm. And so then we decided, again, through Blood Origins, in terms of our evolving content, I reached out to my cameraman in, in New Zealand that I know very well. And I said, what do we do? What's next? Like, what do we, how do we do something that's simply outside the box that, that if somebody from the hunting community says, we're going to show them what tar is, that message is never going to go across the way that we wanted to get across. So how do we show them what tar is? All right, let's get four non hunters. Let's fly them into the backcountry. Let's take them on a hunt without a rifle and show them mm-hmm. mind blowing. Why not? Th- well, that's a you know simple concept. Yep. But the hunting community would never think that way. No. And I'll just quickly look on, because uh, I love to look on Facebook every morning, because right now we're still pushing, we're still freaking pushing it. 132,000 views on Facebook. There you go. Huge. Yep. For that film. So that's the tar situation. You know, big, you know, you're talking big topic. Oh. Jeez, big topic. Government, politics, you name it. It makes me, and this is where I get sort of like, uh, I said to you about, you know, I don't really know how to talk about certain things, but I struggle when things like this come up. It can get so far without, talking about reacting, as we said before, was it taken too easy for too long? And then it was just like had to react to something that, or was it really just a shit show that they literally just dropped the bomb, which you counteracted, but did they just drop the bomb on that and say, hey, this is what we're going to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that the New Zealand Tar Foundation two years ago when that whole situation arose really got, you know, their feet underneath them. Uh, New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association got their feet underneath them. New Zealand Game Animal Council got their feet underneath them. I think they were all pulling in the same direction. Gotcha. Um, and really, you can pull in the same direction up until a point. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, they had built, I think it was called the Tar Liaison Group or some sort of deer management group or game management liaison group that had all the stakeholders around the table. But unfortunately... Politics and timing came to bear, mm-hmm. i.e., the new draft operational plan is a, is a July 1 to June 30 operational plan. Yep. 
the New Zealand elections were happening in two months' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, they're happening this weekend, I believe. I think it is. Um, so you had those two elements. You had a minister in there that was getting pressured at the same time. And if you start really peeling the onion layers back, you can see it all happening in front of you. At the same, just before we learned about it, Forrest and Bird sued the government for not enforcing the 1993 time management plan. You're like, well, see, that's, that's something really I didn't strange. Know. That's really strange. Why would they all of a sudden now? Why now? Yeah. Think about it. Why did they put a suit in place against the Department of Conservation, against the person who's in charge of the department that is theirs? It's their person. Mm-hmm. So why? Oh, you start thinking about, okay, somebody else is pushing us yep. to eradicate. Somebody else is saying we're going to sue you. Okay, we need to listen to our stakeholders. Well, then all of a sudden, New Zealand Tar Foundation comes in and they sue themselves too. So, interestingly enough, the hunting community and the anti-hunting community were suing Doc for the same thing, for incompetence, essentially. Oh, shit. And so, and then you've got two months to the election. Eugenie Sage has promised, you know, obviously behind the scenes, and this is all hypothetical, behind the scenes, Forrest and Bird, I'm going to do things that I promised to do 20 years ago, which is what you see in that film. 20 years ago, she's on film saying... We're going to eradicate tar. Yeah. She's in the position now to do it. And so she's just fulfilling agenda and fulfilling promises and fulfilling a, a promises to a lobby that she's going to have to go back to. You remember, got to remember this. And so you've got to take care of people. And um, it, it, all of that just dovetailed together. And that's what the tar situation uh, was I'm glad you grabbed that onion um, because I think that's where and obviously you guys continuing what you're doing I think that's what we need more of because we get obviously there has to be some kind of opinion to it don't get me wrong but when someone's got the information and can articulate it the way you guys can I think that's the most important bit from the way I see things is because as you said with social media it's always people's opinions of when it's going through. And I guess my personality is like, I'm not going to say anything until I know what the story is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all very easy to go, um, they can't, they can't kill the tar. Like they can't, they can't cull them. Like, but unless you actually think about, it, that's the first reaction because you're a hunter and you want that experience and all that kind of stuff. And they, you know, the argument for their, they're endangered in their home country and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. but hang on a second. Where's this come from? Like, what's the, what are they offsetting or, or what, are, you know, until you got that all information, it's hard for me to get into it because I've been caught out before where you, you go down this rabbit hole and it's like, oh, that's the wrong hole to go down there. There's, you know, that, that was a dead end. Um, how does that affect the topics that you follow? And you approach like, how do you sift that, or you just take the punt? She's, I, I, you're nailing something that I is my biggest nightmare. Is us put something out there, and someone comments something that I never even, I didn't see, I missed, more like I missed. Mm-hmm. 
and I, it, I get a sinking feeling in my stomach to say, I put something out there that was not truthful. That's what we pride ourselves on, is that regardless of the topic, when you break it all down, there's, some, there's truth. Yep. And that's all I'm trying to lay out there is here's the truth. You can decide whether or not you believe it or not. Yes. And that's like the, the Arizona elk video. It just so happened that I used that as an example. That video, that, that, that hunt was an example that I used. And luckily, a lot of people saw that for what it was. Um, instead of me almost, def I wasn't defending Jimmy. No. But rather, I was like, okay, here's an example where someone hunted, completely legal, full of questions tied to ethics. But it was as if the hunting community decided that this guy was a poacher. And 900 comments later, 90% of which were hunters, telling him that he, how bad or how terrible of a hunter he is. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just talk about the truth for a second. Was it legal? Yes or no? Yes, it was legal. Okay. Now let's talk about ethics. Now ethics are personal preference and subjective. And yes, I completely understand that even though it's legal, doesn't mean it's ethical. I get that. The answer to even that is subjective. Mm -hmm. I may say it's unethical. You may say it's ethical. Is a thousand yard shot ethical? I don't know. In my opinion, if you can shoot. So this is how I break that example specifically down. Because a lot of people get an all wrapped around their axle about long range shooting. Mm -hmm. if, you've, if you can shoot. And you're accurate. You're just as ethical as someone at 150 yards that can shoot or can't shoot. Yep. Is there a chance of you wounding an animal? Yes. Yep. Is there more of a chance of you wounding an animal at 1,000 yards? You can argue that there could be because of the amount of time the bullet flies, yada, 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 yep. yada. But the same thing could be said for a compound bow hunter. <laughs> Yep. So it's just like when you start unraveling and then, and that's all we wanted someone to think about is you say that you say it's unethical. Why? Can I throw another one in there? Yeah, go ahead. You had 900 odd. What's the problem with it? Jealousy. It has Number to, one. Yeah. I was going jealous. Like, because I like, I'm pumped for I'm the jealous. Bike. You're jealous. I'd love to shoot the thing. Yeah, but you were also jealous. Exactly. Heck yeah. yeah. I wish I was there shooting the thing. Like, that's yeah. fine. But I just, like, I don't understand why. It's, like, the topic of that video was my biggest thing. Like, why the hate? Like, that was the biggest, you know, like, I'm like, I was pointing at the stand screen. You know what I mean? I, I showed Kyle and my wife, like, I, I played that one. That was the first one before I did the lion one. And and uh, and she's like, just nodding her head. Like, I've been personally offended just, and, and it wasn't even at me. Okay, so it was on the whole meat thing and there was comments made that, 
you know, unless you're utilizing everything, you know, I don't understand why non-residents are going to certain states and hunting and all this. And I'm like, and this is coming from some pretty high people. Hunters? Yep. Okay. And I'm like, why don't you want me to come over there and spend my money? A lot of it. You're telling me I shouldn't do that because I can't take the animal home. Like that's pretty much what you're saying is I shouldn't go because I can't utilize it. Even though I donated the money, the meat to uh, like a shelter, homeless shelter and all that, like that doesn't seem to matter because I was the one that didn't use it. And I ended up getting in a bit of a tat, tat war and I deleted it and pulled out and I thought like, I, that's not me. I don't do that stuff. But it had me wondering, like I was half offended. I'm like, but I'm just like anybody else going over there. I just don't happen to live there. If I had the ability to bring it all back over the plane and was allowed to, I probably would. Um, mm. And I guess this is kind of like Jimmy. He's done everything that he wanted to do and been slammed for it. And I'm just like... Why do you think you got slammed for it? Why do you think that person got their panties in a knot for what you were doing. Well, it probably comes back to jealousy because he's not doing it. But I guess they were that fixed on probably the justification of why that animal's being shot. Like, I, I'm a trophy hunter. That's what I do. I, I, I go mm -hmm. over there. Like, if it wasn't for the trophy, I'm not going to spend $15,000 to go to America mm -hmm. and go and hunt. I'm not going to go over there and hunt, shoot a cow elk. Mm -hmm. I walk down the paddock and shoot a deer down home like <laughs> if that's mm -hmm. the case so mm -hmm. I don't know I, I, I guess I, I finished up and didn't talk about it anymore because I was like I was just I was annoyed I was just like but you're questioning why, why, why I'm doing something yeah I'll tell you what I think that I think there's two <laughs> I say this and I know what you're going to say after I say it. So Go for I'll it. just, I'm going to say it. Um, there's two huge topics that we will tackle. I don't know when, but we'll have to tackle it at some point, which is, you said you're a trophy hunter. Uh -huh. I think that saying that in today's... <laughs> Dangerous narrative has a connotation i wouldn't say yep. it's dangerous it has a connotation no, no question because of the the rigmarole that has been built in behind what a trophy hunter mm -hmm. is most definitely and so a talking head that says something along the lines of what's a trophy hunter or trophy hunting is probably going to get a lot of engagement mm-hmm Definitely. We haven't touched that yet. The other one is captive bred lions. Wow. <laughs> which is one that is probably the most controversial topic in our hunting industry. Yeah. Um, anyway, those two videos are, are, you know, they'll come one day. <laughs> Not to say they're coming this weekend. Yeah. Um, I've actually got a cool one, I think, coming this weekend. I have to formulate it in my brain right now. You're going to get the first preview. You'll see, you'll get the first preview. Uh, it's actually all about um, sustainable trade of crocodile and alligator skins yep. into these big freaking fashion houses, Louis Vuitton, 
yep. Chanel, whatnots. And California just got overruled in terms of them banning the sale of those products in California. Ah, interesting. Anyway, I'm done. No, I mean, I'm no, and I, I, no, I love it. I, I love rabbit holes. But I guess because why we go diverge, because it all seems to come back to either someone not understanding. Yeah. Or someone being jealous within our, within our own lifestyle, like within our own people. I shouldn't say it like that because we're all people, but in the, within the hunting community, we you made a good point. You said, like, we're really killing it ourselves, like, we, you know, no matter what way you want to do it. Like, the bitch fights that we see just in Australia over social media is ridiculous. And it's over nothing. It's, it's a big dick competition. Like, that's literally all it is. It's like, my dick's bigger than yours. It's, mm-hmm. it does my head in. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know how to deal with it because you don't want to get involved. But then at the same time, you're letting stuff happen and it's like this real, you kind of mm-hmm. button heads. It's like, it needs to stop. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't want to get involved with it. I don't have time. I don't have the patience and I don't really know the how. Yeah, so I would say it's not going to change overnight mm-hmm. and it's just a dogged determination of pushing a new narrative with a new set of hunters that just slowly starts bringing new people into the fold. And those old guys see it and they're like, Oh, I want to be a part of that. And there's a little bit of peer pressure involved and, Mm -hmm. Oh, changing that community, being involved with that project. And, you know, that's essentially why we're so excited about building blood origins. Australia is that there's, there's a community ripe people like you, people that we've met in Victoria and in South Australia and just ready to pick up the flag, pick up the torch and say, this is our new narrative Mm -hmm. and show the good work that you do show the beautiful landscapes that you, that you live in. And yeah, the kills almost secondary, right? It's just, and that's where, that's where the, as you said, the dick measuring contest comes. So, Look, it's obvious. We're hunters. We kill things. Okay. But there's an oh, there's a whole, like we've talked about this entire podcast, there's a whole other th- set of things that we like to talk about. Yeah. So let's build a, a base, build a foundation where people can freely talk about that and understand it and feel that they can ask questions about ethics and this and that and formulate these own things in their brains and their minds so that when they're talking to another non-hunter or they're talking to another hunter instead of lashing out mm-hmm. they just say man that's great but have you thought about this what have you thought about that and and i'm not i'm in the comment you would say you know no disrespect or you know i'm just asking this for my own yeah. understanding and really coming across as not aggressive, not arrogant, not arguing. but rather as, yeah, not argumentative, just saying, I want to know, I want to learn. Let's have a dialogue. Yeah. With so many different things we can backfold on, but it's so much going on in my head. But I've had a couple of days of finance and it's not good. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Firstly, back to Blood Origins. 
what do you see or uh, I'll take that back one step. What's your, I don't want it to be the end goal, but what's your, do you have one and Jeez. are you heading in a certain direction that's probably likely to change, but like I, I'm kind of, I'm trying to get a vision of like what, where your head's at, because uh, you're definitely a forward thinker, by all means, big. and I'm trying to sort of see what the big picture is for you. You know, what like where does, where does Blood Origins go in two years' time? Like you, you've done so much in four. You know what's we'll next? We'll do as much in four as we. I think we'll what we've done in four, we'll do in the next two. In that we simply have a bigger voice and we have more eyes we have more bigger audience bigger audience and that's what it that's what it all comes down to it comes down to how do we how do we increase this narrative of who we are as hunters around the world yeah that's it so if right now a hundred people people origins it's a thousand people mm-hmm. it's ten thousand people and it blows my mind i'll tell you the most humbling thing like you even said it today when we first started some random guy that you know random guy to me knew who blood origins was yep that blows my mind <laughs> literally and it's amazing how a lot of people you just asked them, hey, have you heard of Blood Origins? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard about them. Oh, that's awesome. I want that to be everywhere. Yeah. I want people to – I want vision. I'll, and let's talk specifically about Australia because I've thought a long and hard about Australia. I want – and that's why we've started Blood Origins Australia. I want some cool, direct – conservation projects that are funded by hunters found by hunters funded by hunters executed and us broadcast what this new community of hunters looks like in australia to non-hunters in australia Mm -hmm. i want community-based natural resource management initiatives in australia there are wonderful tribal lands in Australia, rich with wildlife that nobody can hunt. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Why can't you hunt it? Yes, it's because it's sacred. I get that. But I think also the indigenous people would understand that there's value to those animals in some sort of capacity. Why could you not involve, especially, and everyone in Australia listening to this knows that just like here in America, just like anywhere else in the world, those communities are underserved. Those communities need something to just be like, oh, yep. wow, we could get involved with this. And you can find the right people. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of them that are, you know, not going to be interested. But there's some youngsters in that community that if you showed them like, hey, why don't we get involved with your community, your tribe, And we want to come and partner with you and value that resource and we'll take care of that land just like you want somebody to take care of that land. Mm -hmm. And that meat will come back to your community. That meat will go into these these low-income areas, these homeless shelters. 
And there's money involved in that. Coming back to the whole, like, nobody knows that you can hunt in Australia. Imagine you can hunt these really sacred places that have good wildlife and show the model of essentially Africa mm -hmm. with the income, the protein, people understanding culture because they're now interacting with those people on a much broader level. And all of a sudden, I can guarantee you get one of those successful. And that now, now now we're talking a lot of politics, okay? We're talking big yeah, I politics. Gotcha. I gotcha. But you do one successfully, sky's the limit in Australia. Yeah. That's where we're going. You know, funny, I, you know, normally you say, you know, in conversation, you'd say, oh, that's just going to be too hard. But then when you look at what's been done, and obviously I've been exposed to a lot of American models and those kind of things over there, like the deer management, and we always think it's it's all too hard, but I really don't think it is. And I think if hunting's got some kind of, if hunting in Australia is going to last, we have to do something exactly what you've just said. Because um, I, think, I think if we don't, I think it's got an end date. I really do. Yep. I agree with you. A hundred percent. We've seen it. Like, I mean, you know, various parts around the world. It can just be stopped. <laughs> That's, they can flick the switch. Okay. Absolutely. They could flip the switch tomorrow. Yep. And I think that's why I'm so excited about what the opportunities are in Australia because of, quote unquote, how immature mm -hmm. the system is. Yep. There's opportunities. You just have to... You just have to go after them. And my favorite quote in the whole wide world, which ties to what you just said, is by a guy called Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. And it says this, everything is impossible until it gets done. Yeah. Ripper. And that's it. That's what we've done in Blood Origins. You know how many times I heard, oh, you're not supposed to film like that. That's way too close. That's way too personal. Oh, they're not going to like that. Oh, no, no, you've got to do this. Yeah today but you just i'm telling you man it's just a matter of finding the right people that have the right passion you just start you know you just knock down door after door after door after door and i think we're going to be amazed i think we're going to be we're going to look back because we have to do something next to us the next five to ten years it's so crucial in australia in america everywhere mm -hmm. this is our time this is our time to either shine or die Following from that, what's something do you haven't f approached yet? You mentioned a couple, but is there there is there one? Blood Origins Australia is probably one, but is there one that you personally like? And I know Blood Origins is not about you. I understand that, and mm -hmm. that was kind of that kind of whole change the whole direction of even this podcast, to be honest, because it's mm -hmm. not normal. You know, generally something's about someone. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's such an unfamiliar model these days. Uh, but to get a little bit selfish, what's one that you want to seek your teeth into? Topics. Mm -hmm. um, one I've always had this vision. Go. Go Sorry. ahead. No, one that, you know, when you've always got that thorn in the side or it could be the rose petal, you know, it's it's the one or the other, but. We've started doing this 
one yesterday video sent to me. I'd like to have on a weekly basis two things. One, a non-hunter's perspective on hunting, mm -hmm. i.e. a non-hunter talking to hunters, saying, this is what I think of you guys. These are shitbags. It'd be pretty eye-opening. <laughs> It'd you know, be scary. I, 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 I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna. You know. And I don't know if I want to go there or not. You're exactly what you just said. Right now, I'm touching non-hunters that are influenced by hunting. So yeah. this is again. You got to remember my thought pattern here. I want. I want to show the non-hunting audience that hey, they're, they're, hey, there are people like you that are non-hunters that interact with hunters on a daily basis, and this is their perspective on hunters. Yep. Like your your wife. Is yep. your wife a, a, a non-hunter? Yep. Okay, so she's going to send me a, this is my perspective, by the way, after we get off this. I have fun with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is typically the reaction I get to. Um, yeah, I know. And so that's a super important perspective. Think about it. It's the most important perspective because it's not self-serving. Here's a non-hunter communicating to a non-hunter about what they believe hunters to be. Now, what about a non-hunter that's had a an offensive reaction to hunting? They saw something, and that's that what they formed their perceptions around or opinions around. Yeah, I wouldn't mind getting into that, like hearing from them, and and then, but I want to have the opportunity to pick a little bit there to say, why did that offend you so much? Mm -hmm. You know, and not just a trivial thing because I'm not gonna we're not gonna waste our time on triviality. Yeah, but something else that, um that really we can hear for ourselves and as a community, maybe we need to be a little different. Um, maybe we need to think some in a, in a different light. And then the other thing I would say is I've had this idea of just like this sort of podcast, uh, iron sharpening iron type conversation. So with hunters, mm -hmm. so I'd get you on and I'd push you. Yeah. Like I would really push you to a point where you may get angry at me. Mm -hmm. But I want that. I don't think anyone is, is, is recording those kinds of conversations where another hunter is pushing another hunter to explain things. It's so funny. You say that I'm going to be very open to you in this. My initial, when we first touched base there back a few weeks ago was I really thought that I could come in and, in honestly try and pick the process apart more but it's solid it really is like uh, my work background like i'm a negotiator and that's that's what i do you know that's my work daily um i'm used to it but i've got to be honest it's solid and i guess you know i don't like interfering with passion either but when you said to me it's not about me blood origins is not about me it's blood origins about us that literally unraveled me. Like it was literally, oh shit, I've got to change the whole nother mindset. But it's a good thing because you know, I, th it's... I think this is where exactly what you're trying to do. It's all about asking that question. When you get to a point, it's like ask the question, why, why was I thinking that way? And, you know, because you don't know until, and I, hence why I was so keen to get you on and, and a little bit, I guess, uh, scare is not the word, but, and intimidate is not the word as well, but you know, from the voice and the and the way you put things and articulate them and that, um, 
you sort of you have a preconceived way you're going to approach a conversation. And I think that's probably where hunters get a little bit caught out as well because they have an argument in mind for any time they're in a position. But if someone throws a curveball, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. I told, I said to you, but when we started, I said, I have a lot of time justifying why we do what we do. Very openly. I, I, because I don't really know what it's like not to hunt. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the point where we can go to someone that doesn't hunt, why don't you hunt? That's my goal. Exactly. No, no, I think that's a laudable goal. And I think being able to have, and I think the end result of those hard-hitting, iron-sharpening, iron-type conversations is that people can then plant in their brains things that they want to say, things that they can they can articulate. That's the whole point of Blood Origins too. We we constantly are throwing kernels of seeds of information out there that if someone says X on a comment or somebody says Y on a comment, you heard someone through our platform say the counter. Yeah. And now you have the information to be able to articulate it. You also watch us, right? You watch us interact. And I think that's the best thing that I've, another one of the, not the best thing. I say best thing a lot um, because it's all, all of it's all awesome. the best. <laughs> It's all awesome. It, it's, it, it, it really blows my mind knowing who's watching us. Mm. Without interacting, there's a lot of people watching us. And watching us how we interact with people through the comments. Mm-hmm. They watch how we respond to people. When somebody says, you motherfucker, you know, da 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 They watch us how we respond to that. And even on this line video I dropped three days ago, complete anti-hunter and he's a he's a he's a typical offender on our page came in he's with wild aid in in africa and jace uh this guy's name's jason um just went through the typical anti-hunting rhetoric i responded respond 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 and then he got to a point where it was like, well, if they're, you know, true man-eaters, well, the trick is making sure that they are. And I said, well, two guys are dead, both of them eaten, one woman in the hospital. It's fact. I said, what would you do? And he goes, and this, is, this blew my mind. He's like, well, if they're killers, you got to kill them. Oh. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. <laughs> but at that, point, at that point, somebody would have jumped in and go, you hypocrite, you da 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 and I was like, well, that's why it's so important for us to be there. Mm-hmm. Okay. The final comment on that thread was, thank you so much for the dialogue. I really had no idea that someone could debate like this. Would you mind me asking an, an off-the-wall question? And he came into my DM saying he's doing a PhD in traditional Chinese medicine and wants to throw some questions about African pangolins. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, you can't tangibly... Yep. You cannot tangibly capture that as an ROI. You can't capture that as marketing. No. But all of a sudden, we have now changed the thought pattern of an ante, and hundreds of people watched me do it. Yes. And to further that, you know, you, you, the responses is your credibility. So when you're in an argument, it's just like me at work. It's how you respond to the situation is your credibility. It doesn't always go to plan by any means. But, you know, he walks away. And I'm not going to say, I. if I looked at him, I'd say he was actually genuine. 
like he was actually a genuine anti-hunter or anti-killer of the lines, or whatever you want to do. He was actually genuine, actually had a mind that was working, if you can say that. Mm-hmm. Because you have other ones you cannot reason with. And my, my always comment is you can't reason with someone that won't listen. He listened. He has a right to have his... Personally, he has the right, just as we do, to have the opinion he did. And I think that's where we need to look, which you've done. We need to look at when we deal with people like that or within even our own community has gone, but he's a listener. He just has his point. 100%. With the elk, you look at our YouTube channel on the elk video, I had a guy come in there and typical comment like on the Jimmy John's. So unethical that, you know, that's not Boone and Crockett, that's not fair chase. I said, look, man, I value your opinion. It's your opinion. Mm-hmm. I said, but I want to ask you a question, and I'm purposely asking you this question because I want you to think, where is the line? Yep. Where is your fair chase line? Is it 1,000 yards? Is it 500 yards? Is it 300 yards? Is it 100 yards? Where's the line? And he came back, and he's like, man, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. Mm. And... I still stand by that long-range hunting is unethical and all this technology is unethical. But, you know, it, it was almost just like you could hear, you could see the wheels turning. You could, you could see the cogs like <laughs> engaging. <laughs> so that's what we, you know, that's what, that's what it's all about. Um, and to, final, to finalize your question, I think I'd love to have those, those iron sharpening iron conversations with a non-hunter or even a vegan or an anti-hunter, but just make sure that they are being genuine, yeah. being thoughtful, open. Yes. As I would have, be, as I would be open to their rhetoric and their conversations, because again, it's peer pressure, Craig. If people see us having dialogue, hear us having dialogue, see us having dialogue, see us setting this sort of middle ground, mm-hmm. that's that that's progress amplifies through all of our voices mm-hmm. man i i think we're going to have to do probably a couple of these because i think it's going to revolve probably every few months to be honest with you but we've obviously got a few things in works that we'll we'll continue to work on behind the scenes but um is there anything that we that you sort of just maybe as a bit of a closing sort of um, comment or just, you know, anything you want to say towards maybe maybe base it more of Australian or, um, you know, um, yeah, take it away. You've heard me a lot through this podcast talk about the opportunity that is on your doorstep as the Australian hunting community. There is everything in front of you. You, because you're so nascent in your maturation of what that hunting community looks like, mm-hmm. and there's an opportunity, a window here in the next two years to really show a different narrative. That I, you know, I would encourage everyone to just grab it by the freaking scruff of the collar and run with it. Run with it in terms of your social media. Run with it in terms of. Can you find conservation projects that you want to get involved with? And then this is, and again, tying it back to Blood Origins, Blood Origins is built for you, Craig, for you, the Australian community, 
to showcase what you're doing, how you're doing it. Why are we getting videos out of Zambia on anti-poaching? Because that's hunters doing good work on the ground. Mm -hmm. Why am I not getting videos out of Australia? Send me damn videos. Show me what you are. Show us so that we can put it on the platform as we grow from 40,000 to 400,000 to 4 million. So that we can show more people what hunters are doing in Australia what the hunting lifestyle means to Australians. That's what we're about. We're not interested in, you know, the commercialization of what hunting is for you. We're just interested in your heart. And so I want to see your heart. We want to see your heart. The world wants to see how this, your heart is shaped by hunting. And we want to help you. Simply. That's why we built Blood Origins Australia. Right now, it's a very small, I think there's five people, <laughs> work group on Facebook. So if you hear this message, go on Facebook, look up Blood Origins Australia and join the group because that group is going to be a, a, a megaphone for showing narrative and then pushing narrative out into the respective communities that those people interact with. And we're just going to grow it. So, but we need help to grow it. We need right people thinking the right way that, uh, that we just need to, to change, to be able to not react, but be proactive. I love it, man. I'm going to leave it right there because there's no way we can better that. So, man, I can't think so much. You've worked around me, man. You've got up early. Um, just, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Um, from, from if I can speak from the hunting community that I know of, uh, it's all positive from our end, man. So um, just keep doing you. Keep the, uh, I just, yeah, just keep on that line if you, you know. And, and I, I, know you're, I know you're a bulldog. I know, I know that's what you're going to do, man. I, I know that's not going to change, but... I'm really excited to see, you know, what comes in the, fu- in the near future and the, and the further future. Um, and I think, as I said, man, I had a comment yesterday and I'll let everyone know now. Uh, I think he's going to be the rock star of the, the hunting community for our voice. So, I don't know. We'll, uh, I don't think it's too far away, man. So, just well done, mate. And uh, thanks again. Thank you, Craig. Much appreciate you. No worries, man. Stay on the line, bud, and... Uh, Say goodbyes. Thank you for listening to the Hunter Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.